0: Suddenly I get this feeling of, wait, this could be the moment that I get gored to death. His shoulder was pressed against the tree that I'm pressed against. I just found myself absolutely pissed because I realized this strange gray area of, is corner crossing legal or not in Montana, prevented me from putting meat in my freezer. Ah, you're just like softening it up for the liberals. You know, you could have taken this 30 minutes that you just tried to like run meat around and written an email to a legislator and made a difference. My favorite DMs come from people who are like I don't think this is right because it makes me look into it so much deeper if there's no visuals of what ethical responsible hunting is then that it will represent us all by default we will all be that guy this is Rochelle Schrute and you're listening to the wild initiative podcast Put
1: down
2: your latte and pull on your boots.
1: I would rest at peace for eternity if my legacy was that I made a positive influence on the non-hunting public about what hunters
3: are and what hunting is. I finally got my buck on our last real day of hunting.
2: So a pro-hunting organization is voting against hunting. And that says anti-hunting to me. There was a
3: year straight where I was averaging up to 200 death threats a day. And I hugged it like I just wanted
0: to hug a bear.
2: It's proven that the average steak in a grocery store touches 50 to 100 hands and machines. And we're putting that into our body. Hey y'all, Cable Smith host of the Lone Star Outdoors show here. This is Adam Weatherby. I'm Corey Jacobson with Elk 101.
1: This is
0: Christy Titus. Hey
1: folks, this is John Bear. You're listening to The
2: Wild Initiative.
3: Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Podcast Network. Whether you're just looking to stay
1: warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
3: All right, y'all. So hopping right into today's episode, I'm on the line with somebody I've been bugging for what has to be two years at this point to come on my podcast with me. um, And persistence pays off. So I'm joined today by Rochelle Schrute. Rochelle, thanks so much for hopping on with me today
0: well thank you for having me uh i feel like i've been wanting to be on your podcast internally. taking me some time to make
3: it happen. <laughs> i uh you know i remember when we first i think we first met we were just discussing this before and i think we first met due to kettle house cold smoke um I'm pretty sure like I just, it was, you know, you go on Instagram and it shows you like the, the suggested accounts page or whatever. It shows you like the p- random accounts, like pictures you may be interested in. And one, it was a picture of you. I can't, I think it was at the tail end of a hunt or or maybe it was an unsuccessful hunt or whatever it was, but you're cracking a cold smoke. And, oh, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and I was, and I was just like, Oh my gosh, that's the best beer ever. And a beautiful friendship was born.
0: Uh- <laughs> friendship for beer.
3: I mean, are there better friendships ever created? Not that I know of. Not, I'm not aware of any any as well. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one thing I always like to kick off is, uh, and I know you're going to cringe when I ask you this, but um, just a little introduction of who you are. But the one thing I love is because I came into it late in life, I love to hear how everyone was kind of introduced into the outdoors, you know, Um everyone has such a different and different story that I'd just like to hear about your introduction into the outdoors and kind of what turned that into a passion for you.
0: Um, mine's a little, it starts out kind of boring. Um, and then it wraps up kind of boring but <laughs> introduction. Uh, I was blessed to be born into a poor, not poor, a hardworking class family. um, we all lived out on a little farm in the rattlesnake um, and it was the meat we could afford. So we hunted. So there's pictures of me, you know, still in diapers and a little pink snowsuit and hand-me-down clothes and throughout the years just on hunts. Cause that's, that's how we got our meat. So I just didn't know any different um, growing up. And then.
3: Well, so growing up was it, it was, it was, was it the sort of mindset of you shoot the first thing you get? Was there a little bit of like, Oh, we want to wait for something bigger. What?
0: No, uh- oh, no, 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 no. It was, it was, we meat hunted. Um, I don't know. I think I've shot the biggest elk in my entire family. Cause it was, you take down the first elk you see so that you can get meat in the freezer. So we definitely didn't, I don't know of anybody. Maybe my, no, my brother, my brother still, he shoots what he sees, brings home meat and puts it in the freezer. Um,
3: So so do you think I was going to say, do you think that uh, kind of affected your perspective on hunting and the outdoors since then growing up that way?
0: For sure. Um, I mean, I'm at a point now where, man, I, I like to hold out. I like to hold out for that big, beautiful deer, the big, beautiful buck or whatever. But for me, One, it's the chase Two, it extends my season. Like I get to hunt as long as possible. I shoot this first thing I see, then I'm done and I'm sad. Um, but my perspective of it for sure, um, was shaped by this. I don't, you don't have a successful season. You have a slim winter. Um, (laughs) and when I see people that it bothers me and I'm trying to get over it. People have lots of different reasons for hunting. Um, I know a lot of people that hunt and don't eat it and that's fine. They donate it, whatever. Um, but man, there were a couple of years where I didn't have successful seasons and like relied on someone to donate me the ruddy, stinky mule deer that they didn't want. <laughs> and I was so elated for it. So I think that's definitely shaped, you know, now that I'm a little older and I have unlimited time to hunt, I hunt as much as I want. Um, it doesn't weigh on me as heavily. Cause I, I know that I can go out and harvest a deer um which i see a big difference between harvesting and hunting which is a whole different a whole different thing that i've tried (laughs) to explain to people um but i can harvest a deer the last day of the season or go out and you know management cow elk which is what i did this last year and put meat in the freezer um but yeah that's my upbringing definitely changed it and then even more so i stopped hunting for i don't know a good 10 15 years um just through being married and the dynamics and kids and school and work and everything else. I really I don't think I hunted maybe once or twice throughout an entire you know an entire like 15 year period. And then when that sort of wrapped up and came to an end, one of the things that became suddenly very apparent is that the bottom of the freezer showed up. <laughs> and through through the stress of marriage and kind of feeling like i was always kind of on my own there was at least always meat in the freezer um so then it became necessity because it's all my kids and i one i was broke because (laughs) divorce sucks and uh we needed meat and my kids were preteens. man they never stop eating (laughs) so that got me right back into it heavy of like well now i have to hunt it's not a it's not a want to it's a have to
3: I mean, so you, I mean, and you hopped into it then full bore, like you went from hundred to zero to back to a hundred again.
0: Yeah. It was my, it was a huge chunk of my childhood to absolutely no part of my life. Other than I cooked it, I prepared it. Like I would make sausage and stuff, but otherwise zero to have its opening day. Like I got to, I didn't have clothes that fit because I hadn't hunted since I was, you know, young. Those don't certainly don't fit me anymore. So I was like, Walmart up,
2: <laughs> cotton
0: layers, badlands of Montana, just out there doing my best. It, I mean, it worked out and I feel like I relearned how to do it in a completely different way. I don't hunt like my dad. I don't hunt like my brother. I don't hunt like my grandpa. I've kind of developed through just having to my own way of hunting. Um, and I love it.
3: I mean, I think that speaks so much to, you know, you've, you've seen it and it, we get so caught up in the, we have to have these things and do it this specific way and have, have the the newest bow, have the newest rifle, you know, use this, uh, whether it's Sitka or First Light or Kuyu or whatever it happens to be, have to have a full set of perfectly matching camo because it looks great in the pictures. Oh, um, great. I mean we get so fucking caught up in that. Right. Yeah. But that right there, it shows like you can feed your whole damn family with some Walmart camo.
2: You can.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, you can, you can throw on a pair of jeans and a red flannel and have a successful hunt. And what I've learned, I never had nice stuff growing up. I mean, it was hand-me-downs. It was wool. It was not, not new wool. It was old school wool, scratchy, (laughs) horrible. If it rains, you just die. Um, But what I've learned, my, my camo for the most part, I've got a lot of it now just through my job. Um, You don't have to have it, but the first hunt that I went on and I had gotten Sitka Timberline pants. And I remember sitting down and being like, Oh, I can sit anywhere.
3: I don't you, don't,
0: being soaked.
3: you don't have to find like the perfect rock or perfect log yeah. that's still kind of dry
0: no and then like this year i sat at a tree stand and it was it was cold but i had new gear to test and i about fell asleep i was cozy i felt like i was in a sleeping bag so do you need it no but what i've learned is having a couple of like high quality solid pieces change the game because i can like it extends my days
3: I was gonna say it's really about comfort across the board like short of maybe your weapon all mm-hmm. the higher end gear is really more about comfort when it comes to your boots when it comes to even even your pack yeah there's some functionality you'll get out of a pack with higher end packs but most of your pack your boots your your hunting clothes all of that it's about comfort and and by extension as you said yeah that it, it, it allows you to extend your time in the field because you're less miserable. Yeah. Um, you know, but found,
0: it, it makes me soft. It's made me soft because now <laughs> if I were to go out in a pair of jeans and a flannel and try and hunt, I'd be like, this sucks. <laughs> 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 it's not as comfortable.
3: Oh my God. Yeah. No, it's um, I, I've done like one or two hikes in a pair of jeans and oh. it, that's, that's just miserable. Like I, I, I really can't see my, i I was actually just talking with, I did, uh, I was in Salt Lake uh, for, for hunt expo. And one of my first times, like when I, after I'd kind of gotten into hunting, I hadn't actually gone on my first hunt yet, uh, but I'd flown after Salt Lake and it was uh, an event for Sitka, uh Black Ovis was doing for Sitka. It was, they were launching sub Alpine and, I went out and there was a big hike that everyone was doing. And I was just like, I don't know. I just, it was like a weekend trip that I unexpectedly did. And I rushed out and I threw everything in my, my new pack that I'd never tested with my new boots that I'd like barely ever worn and all of this stuff. And I throw on, I throw on a pair of jeans and I don't think to pack a pair of pants to hike in. So I'm hiking in these jeans. And I mean, we did, I mean, it wasn't crazy. It was like, five or six miles but it was a couple it was like 2500 feet of elevation gain or something um so it was not a it was not like a nice little introductory <laughs> hike <I> jeans. <just, laughs> oh my gosh that was yeah i i don't like hiking in jeans to say the least
0: i don't like doing much of anything in jeans anymore i mean <laughs> i've been working from home for i don't know how long now um yeah I've lived in a pair of sweatpants. I put on pair of jeans <laughs> now, and I'm just like, "Ugh, why did we ever decide to do these?" <laughs> oh
3: my gosh! So you get back into hunting, and you're kind of you're going whole hog uh, yep. on this to feed the family, to feed yourself, to and I'm assuming still some of it because you do love to hunt.
0: Yeah. At first, I, when I got back into it, I didn't like the first season that I had after because it was. Just, it was such a requirement and I wasn't prepared and it was so with everything else going on, I, I didn't really even think about it. So it was like all of a sudden, Whoa, my freezer's empty. Like shit. I don't, I don't even have a rifle. Mm
3: -hmm. Like, what
0: am I, what am I going to do? And that season, it was a rough fall. It was bitterly cold. That it was just like a combination of all these terrible things. Um, And then it was a completely different environment than I'd hunted in. So I grew up in Northwestern Montana and here I live in Eastern Montana and that is a different ball game. So even what I had known growing up just from hunting with my dad and, and totally different, just a completely different thing. So I was, reading online i was asking my friends there locally i was you know getting pins dropped to me go try and check out this place and here's what you should do and just different ruddy eastern montana mule deer are not princess whitetail up in the you know farm fields and and mountain elk and it's just a totally different thing and so that first year i hated it i was like how did i how did i even enjoy this growing up how did my we're going to starve this winter. I'm going to end up going broke trying to to feed these kids meat or we're going to learn to be vegetarian. (laughs) Um, so it was, it was really tough. Um, but that winter is what that winter is what drove me into that, not winter, but that, that fall is what pushed me into conservation stuff, which I had no interest in. Um, but it came from my first return to hunting season but I, yeah, no, I haven't always loved it. I love it now. Like that <laughs> there's nothing better than going out and spending an entire day outside and coming back empty-handed. Like I still spent an entire day outside.
3: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Chasing elk and having them scream back at me. Like ugh, that's the best.
3: There's nothing better in this world than bugling at an elk and having it scream back at you.
0: Yeah, it's I I've tried to describe it to people and I'm like it is otherworldly. Like it is just there is and you cannot describe the volume to someone like you feel it echo in your chest. It is just this rumble. It's a freight train on the side of a hill. Oh, it's just incredible. This year I had speaking of rumbling. The most incredible haunting experience of my life was this year. And we were like trucking to try and get to this meadow, you know, at like dusk and all of a sudden this elk is screaming just off to our left. Like we were running past him. (laughs) We're like, what? So we like dive into the timber and suddenly I like press up against a tree, bugling so loud that it was like giving me tremors. Like it was just like, I could feel it in my spine and I don't know if it was just, we were so he couldn't have been 60 or 70 yards, but thick dense timber. So I couldn't see him. Um, Mark, he was he was down a ways making like a ruckus trying to get this bull to like come out of the timber, but it was so intense and so loud. And it's the closest I've ever been to a living elk. Um, I'm pressed up against a tree and this cow, all of a sudden, we thought they were over to the right. Cause we like ducked in and cut around so that they wouldn't wind us. All of a sudden there's a cow walking directly in front of the tree that I'm standing against. And it walks over my pack Cause I was like, oh, throwing stuff, like hurry up, get in position there. We're running past them when we were trying to beat them over to the meadow. Um, It walks straight towards my pack, leans down, sniffs my pack, which has just been in a wall tent that we've been cooking in. So I'm like, well, this is it. This is the end. And then she steps over it and keeps walking. And I'm like, sweet. So then another cow comes in that same direction and I'm standing there with my bow on my, like propped up on my leg um, and I'm just standing there against the tree. And then all of a sudden there's an antler sticking out in front of the tree right in front of me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So I'm just trying to freeze and I'm looking down. Cause I'm like, I don't know. Don't look at it. Cause eye contact whatever. Um, but this spike gnarly, I mean, just wonky, huh. not even spike. He was like, a, I don't know. He was just jagged. You know, you see those, The few, the Carl elk, like he was never gonna be a big, beautiful poster. He was just rough. Teenager, coat was all shaggy and gross. He stunk to high heaven. He had one, but just two arms sticking out of his skull, essentially. But they like come around the tree and he turns. He couldn't have been five yards from me, but turns and faces me directly. And I'm like, Suddenly I get this feeling of, wait, maybe this isn't this could be the moment that I get gored to death. Like it was suddenly super spooky, but he kind of stepped forward and his shoulder was pressed against the tree that I'm pressed against. And I had those two antlers right by my cheeks and he leaned down and sniffed the top limb of my bow. And then oh my god, licked my bow in my hand. Like that, which he was like pre ruddy. So he's flailing his tongue, he's drooling, all uh-huh. of that nastiness. Licks my bow, which is cold, like a cold piece of metal, jumps back. So then I'm like, well, and I'm just like frozen the whole time, taking <laughs> the mess. <laughs> Mark's down there still making a mess, has no idea what's going on up here, other than he sees that there's now suddenly elk coming towards him. Um, And then he hopped back and just walked off. And that was it. We never shot anything. I never saw the big bull bull up on the hill. But just that whole experience of like, oh, it was just incredible. Went home empty handed. A spike licked my bow. And the loudest bullet has ever screamed at me sat and screamed and he was screaming the whole time which made me even more nervous i thought god i'm just and we were surrounded which also makes me question the whole scent you know like scent free stuff there's no way that i didn't stink to high heaven this is like day seven of a tent um and they were like all around even notice i was there
3: (laughs) i feel like i don't know you know the scent free stuff all of that like uh -uh. I don't know. You play the wind as best you can. And yeah. I, you know, cause what are you going to do after, unless you're, unless you're literally going back to your, an Airbnb every night and washing your washing your clothes, like yeah. it, there's just, there's just no point. So play the wind and yeah. call it a day. But that is, that is awesome. The closest, the closest I've gotten, I mean, I've gotten in, not a couple of them spooked a few of them, but like really gotten and, and not had them aware that I was there was, was on my 2020 hunt. I didn't really get to hunt this last season. Cause I uh, like, I was like, Oh, I'm super busy during our season. I'm going to focus on rifle season this year. Oh, look, I decided to buy a house at the beginning of October, <laughs> really effing smart Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and so then I then I tried to chase whitetail from my porch uh, for for about two weeks that were left in season. And <laughs> There's some beefy whitetail up here. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're just a bunch of wheat fed like, well, I mean, you know, northern Montana. Like,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah, they're
3: <laughs> I was looking at him. I'm like, oh, man, like it looks like a like a nicely shaped rack, but it just looks so small. And it took me a moment to like realize I'm like, Oh no, that is just the beefiest, thickest, like white tail. I mean, they have no predators up here, maybe some coyotes. And then nothing but just abundant water and wheat across.
0: Yeah. They're Uh, just, they're like Midwestern boys. They're just corn fed and thick.
3: Oh geez. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I try to explain to people like, I'm like, okay, you know, where I moved in Montana, they're like, Oh my gosh, is it so beautiful up there? I'm like, there's areas I'm like, but if you've ever been to the Midwest, it's more like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: But <laughs> uh, No, the, the closest I've ever really gotten in was my, my 2020 hunt. And that was, uh, we finally got in. I had this like perfect window set up where it was like a, almost like a funnel from me to them. And it was 20 yards across. It was like 18 yards across. And they, there was just only one way they could come up. And we knew they were coming up this way. All the cows were moving i never did see the bowl we know there was a 360 plus bowl there um my uh my buddy john who's guiding me he saw it he got a glimpse of it but i never actually got to see it which is probably better because then i wouldn't have taken the elk i took and i would have yeah. sat and tried to, if i'd seen it i probably would have sat and tried to wait it out which would not have been a guarantee that i would have gotten it but uh but yeah that was like 18 yard uh, 18 yards away so not like not licking distance or anything, but, uh,
0: <laughs> licking distance. <laughs> that's, what? that's now a term licking distance.
3: Wait, I'll tell you what I got up on them elk, and I was, I tell you what I was pertinent within licking distance of them. Bertin here. Bertin here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yeah, you know, just having, you know, and then when I shot that elk that you could hear the bull, I mean, he had to be 50, 60 yards away at the closest from just judging by how far away he was. But even then, when you're sitting there in a reasonably vulnerable spot and you have one of those, you have a nearly thousand pound animal with like six foot antlers screaming, <laughs> this yeah. just, there's, there's nothing quite like it. It's yeah. the only better thing is when they're pissed off and responding to something you just bugled at them. Yeah. Like, like there's something about hearing it. Like hearing it, especially unexpected, is one thing, but knowing that they're responding to Yeah, they're talking to you. Oh yeah. And they're yeah. Not, they're not just talking, they're they're saying fuck you, bro.
0: Like, yeah. You know, they're like, exactly. yeah, they're just furious. <laughs> yeah.
3: Knives, machetes,
1: saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives, make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top of the line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
3: So you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, you know, getting back into hunting was what drove you into conservation. Which yeah. I, I want to hear a little bit about that. How you kind of got introduced into into more of the conservation aspect of things? Because you are yeah. suffice to say, anybody that has followed you online, you occasionally post one or two things about conservation now and again.
0: Occasionally, yeah, I you know, get around to it less than I used to, but <laughs> I uh, it's in for a while. It completely engulfed my life. Um, but yeah, I got into it. Not intentionally. Um, it came from, you know, looking back, it feels almost like a real, a really pure way to get into something that I've become pas- super passionate about. Um, and it was just real world experience. And it, you know, my daughter, my daughter was really young. Um, not really young. She was probably 11. Um, and she wanted to go out and hunt with me. So I was like, great, we'll head out towards the Terry badlands. Um, I've seen a couple of decent bucks out there. We'll head out there, crack dawn, get up there, you know, and we, we had a full day of hunting. It was, we had a great day. We saw a bunch of does way outside of range. Um, and it was just good to get her out and, you know, gauge her interests also as a parent gauge, how far can this kid walk? Cause I had no idea if she was going to be able to go on like some of the bigger hunts with me, whatever. Um, so we end up in this area in the evening we like head back closer to town and there's this big kind of sprawling open area. It's very badlands. Um, thus Terry badlands. Um, and there's chunks of public chunks of private, whatever. And we get up on this Hill and we're just sort of glassing. And then we walk down and kind of bend around this Hill and she saw the buck first, but she said, I think that's a deer. (laughs) <laughs> and so I look up and sure enough, there's a beautiful four point mule deer buck. I don't know, 200 yards, just standing in an open field. I mean, it's the most perfect. We had just enough cover that we could have laid down, got set up everything. And I thought, man, we are skirting the line of, I don't know where he's standing. So I pull up my, we had just enough service that I pulled up Onyx. um, And I look at the map and sure enough, from where I'm ranging him to where we're standing on the map, he was on public. We were on public and right in between us is this perfect little corner of private and private.
3: Uh, And I was
0: like, at the time I was like, I don't know the rules on this. I don't know. I don't know if we can get over I don't know. Like I just don't know. So we sat there for a minute. So you're he, you're
3: talking like a to make it clear, you're talking a corner crossing. So
0: I didn't even know what that was called.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was I just knew that I was standing on this square of public or it was BLM. And he was standing on this square of BLM. And two perfect little private sections met at this great little 90 degree jump. Um Yeah. And it was just a perfect, it was the cartoon version of the corner crossing issue. Mm. So here we are on this checkerboard and we sat there and sat there and my daughter, my daughter is a spitfire. And she's like, are you going to shoot the thing? Are we just going to sit here? You know, and I'm like, (laughs) I don't know if I can. And she said, well, oh, is he on somebody's land? And I said, no, he's, he's on our land. That's public. And we're on public but I think we'd have to step over a corner of private to get there. And I tried to show her on the map and she said, well, couldn't we just jump and then we wouldn't touch it. And I was like, technically yes, but I don't, I don't know. And it was just at dusk. And so we sat there for a while and I made the conscious decision. No, this is one, I'm not going to shoot this and have this be my daughter's first real hunting experience be, possibly not poaching, but a trespassing situation. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't know the legality of, am I shooting over private land? I just didn't know anything about it. So we sat, we watched him, we ended up just walking towards him up until we got just barely to the the private section. And then he, he took off running and then we headed back, you know, back to the Jeep. And then we got home and, you know, we were Google machines. I was, what is this? And what does this mean? And property lines and airspace violations and all of this stuff um, that I just didn't, I had no reason to look into. And by about 2am after diving into all of these corner crossing legislation and all of this stuff that was brought up and things I'd never even heard about, cause I had no reason to hear about any of it. Um, I was pissed. I just found myself absolutely pissed. because I realized I didn't know, but in, in just Taking the air of caution, this strange gray area of is corner crossing legal or not in Montana prevented me from putting meat in my freezer, so it hit home very real, like wow this is this is ridiculous like why isn't someone doing anything and so i had the next day I had the next day off instead of going out again, I spent the entire day sending emails to everyone that was like linked in any of those corner crossing articles that I'd read all the organizations, like, how do we fix this? I, I do some writing. Um, who can I write to, who can I contact? How do I fix this? Which then led me into showing up and volunteering at a couple of events and helping write letters and op-eds and editorials about just corner crossing in general and checkerboard issues in Montana and then it just snowballed until it was all that I seemed to do. Um, and I love it. It's one of those things that I feel like when you're not, when it's not right in your face, you have no idea it's happening. And then once you're aware of it happening, there's so much to lose and so much that's broken um, that I couldn't not be involved with it. Yeah. No, I- that's, that's the origin story. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I think, it, you know, that brings up, some really important points. One is, I mean, let's face it. You did the right thing. You didn't know. You didn't know the regulations. You no. didn't know what the issue is. And however educated we try to be, we are always bound to get thrown into a situation where we don't know what the rules are, what the the proper thing to do is. And in that case, you played it right. I mean, you played it safe and no. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, thinking about it that way, like you don't want your, your daughter's first hunt experience yet to Yeah. It would have been like,
0: I went home and Googled it and been like, I definitely not broke the law, but skirted a law. If I, mm-hmm. if I would have shot that, which he never even, he didn't even notice us. The wind was in our favor. It would have been a. Clean and easy shot. I could have shot that deer, went and got him, gotten out of there. No one would have had any idea. Technically, it wasn't illegal. Just frowned upon that I'm stepping over this corner. It was just like this. It wouldn't have been a big deal to anyone but me. Like it would have eaten me up that this first experience that I'm having with my daughter of we're going to you were here and helped me with this. Feed our family for the it just would have been sullied by mm-hmm. this asterisk in my mind of like, but I skirted the rules.
3: Like, well, and that would have given her, that would have put her on a different direction as well. This yeah. time she got to see you behaving in an ethical manner. And rather than down the line, her, you know, maybe, maybe she's out hunting by herself. One yeah. time she comes into that same situation, does that gets in trouble. And she's like, well, is looking back. Like I thought this was fun kind of a thing. Yeah. And yeah, but, you know corner crossing is definitely one of the most irritating irritating issues on the face of this earth to me because it's one of those things that in all logical behavior there should be no question about like in yeah. any sane person that is not just out to prevent and i mean let's face it. i think we know why it's an issue people yeah. are just trying to prevent access like there's no exactly. questions mm-hmm. um but any sane person any sane person should know this should not be an issue, I mean you can helicopter your ass into some of these checkerboarded spots,
0: yeah, but i can't you know, swing my knee into the airspace of someone 's private property
3: i'm still like I, I just want someone to define okay, if we're, this is what we 're going to do how high how high does somebody 's property extend then? I mean, are we talking eight feet are we talking you know like twenty feet like what's yeah, I mean, what's the line that defines it? Do, if I fly too low in a helicopter, am I like breaking the law? Like what's going on?
0: And see, I thought that I had read. I don't know where I'd read it, but someone had described it as usable airspace. You own the usable airspace, which to me says probably how high can you build a building there? Because then that's still your property if the building is there. But really, in all of these places, the tallest building is a single wide trailer that a ranch hand lives in. <laughs> like that's the tallest building in the area. Like, do I just need to carry around a ladder on my pack and just?
3: I was gonna say, you know, they make they make those really cool ladders that like have the dual folds in them, so you can yeah. kind of like, like just get scalding. one of those and... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, I don't know. Get some sort of zip line, like portable yeah, zip just... line, you can create,
0: or we just step <laughs> to the next piece of public property. Like it's just yeah. silly, and I've heard all of these. Granted, my my introduction to it came from way eastern Montana. And if you ever look at a map of like east of Miles City, it is a quilt. It is Mm -hmm. a perfect square by square quilt. There's not a a fence in sight. I mean, not at all. So even the argument of like, well, this could be damage to fences. Well, sure, there could be. You got people crossing the same corner over and over again. Yeah, that fence is going to get damaged. Um, but how many fences are there at corner crossings? I bet there's not that many, at least not in Montana. I bet there's not.
3: I was going to see, I see more fences crossing state land, like crossing through the state land that's yep. being leased out than I've ever seen at any sort of public land
0: crossings,
3: yep. anything like that.
0: Yeah. It's just a, it's an <sighs> invalid argument. I think
3: it's just, it's, it's one <laughs> that stresses me the hell out because it, are it, it Stuff that's just not logical irritates the huh? shit out of me. Like, it just makes me irrationally angry. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's one of those, like.
3: So, thanks talk- for bringing up the topic, Michelle. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. you know,
0: I, I love to irritate people and get blood pressure going up, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning.
3: <laughs>
0: um, I mean, 11 o'clock in the morning.
3: Oh, there
2: we go. Uh,
0: it's funny because even like, it seems like every legislative session we're talking about. Access, 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 access. How do we increase access? How do we increase access? That fixes it. Corner crossing fixes access in Montana for the most part. Man, you'd get access to s- millions of acres.
3: Oh, I mean, it's I'm like, seventy-five plus percent. I would, uh, I would venture to say, if not more. It would like,
0: just, yeah, Ugh. is what it is. What it is. I don't. Now I'm getting worked up. I think all <laughs> of them like we're talking about access, and we're not talking about corner crossing i mean whatever it's fine it's all fine
3: well and one of the funny things about corner i mean there's certain certain things you know you can you can really dig into you can go to go to fish and game meetings you can go to these these local meetings and it's critical i mean it is very critical that we get hunters out to these meetings to speak their mind um but I, I will say one of the tricky things I think about things like access and corner crossing is it involves more than just fishing game. You yeah. know, what I mean, there is uh, uh, anyone and everyone has their yeah. has their fingers when it comes uh, in the pie when it comes to land access. So
0: yeah, the amount of red tape that goes from when you're talking about land that is owned by different agencies and different private citizens, man, it's it's a it's a big hill to climb.
3: Um, and I mean, to some extent, I kind of get it from the perspective of the private landowners because there's a part of me that if <laughs> I had access to all this and I could hunt it by myself, yeah, I kind of want that. but you get it yeah no like, it,
0: it makes sense. I mean, it definitely does it uh it's one of those you know, you look at both sides of yeah, we need from a conservation standpoint, we need access to managed populations to those inaccessible populations um, from a public land or ha- public land hunter standpoint. It's like, yeah, I want to get over there so that I can get to the land that I pay taxes on so that I can get to animals that belong to my state, but from like a save up your whole life and buy a piece of property that, you know, is your paradise. Yeah. It's neat to be like, yeah, and there's a chunk of a whole bunch of state land back there, BLM or whatever that, <laughs> only i have access to which is neat i see both sides of it
3: oh yeah i don't know if if nothing else there should be some sort of uh, i've always thought it would be interesting if there was some sort of like access rule in of where you either have to pay pay the taxes for that chunk of land that you're blocking access to or yeah. you have to provide some sort of thoroughfare, some sort of access plan, whether that's block, through block management or, you know, just a, a single road going through or corner crossing, whatever that is. Um, you know, and the, the problem is a lot of the people that own these chunks of land are giant corporations now. Yeah. And Good I lie. mean, I'm sure the Wilkes brothers would really have a problem paying some extra taxes <laughs> on that land they have. <laughs>
0: First we start talking quarter crossing and then you drop the wilks i dropped yeah, the dirty the dirty w word this morning i
3: just i just have an especially <laughs> bitter bitter uh, relationship with them because i was hunting some state land that was like basically it was this little teeny piece of state land up by the Snowies that's just surrounded by by them and you get this little teeny corner that you can come in and yeah. you know you can sneak around it was my first time ever really getting into elk and I mean, I spent, I just killed myself. I mean, I spent six weeks hunting. This was, um, I think this was the season after we first met. Uh, mm-hmm. We first met the first time. Um, but I was hunting, uh, I was hunting and I'd get in and I had, you know, an hour maybe. Like I had this small window and I had to be in place in the right spot for any chance at these elk. There was always maybe a couple of stragglers that would make it out, uh, but they would they'd be on this one section of, of the public. And then they would, uh, uh, the light would come up, they'd get up, they'd start moving, they'd move right off of it and they would stay on the private the whole rest Uh of the day. I would, I would sit and just watch them all day long, hoping one satellite bowl would get close enough to the edge where I could call him in. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, that was all archery season. And then I'm like, okay, come rifle season, this is going to be easy. Like, I don't, I don't even need to, like, like this is just, I don't even need to get that close now. So it's just the second bait one pops his head up, it's boom. And he's done. Well, the problem is come rifle season, the ranch hands start running the fence lines with their trucks and start driving onto the public quote unquote in search for cows. Yeah. Um, to push all of that, all of them back. They just disappear. Come literally the second rifle season starts they all disappear off that piece of land. You don't you don't see them again until the season's over because, you yep. guys in a white pickup, white Wilkes pickup truck running those lines.
0: <laughs> yeah. One <sighs> of those uh, one of those pickup trucks. I was driving down the county road surrounded by bo- on both sides by Wilkes property. And they pull up and start to slow down as we're like crossing paths. I'm like, ah. so I roll my window down. The guy's like, what you doing? I was like, just going in a drive in my camo. What are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, just working. Where are you hunting? And I was like, uh, I don't know you. And I'm certainly not giving you my hunting spots, uh, but not here, just headed on my way to hunt. And he kind of smirked and he goes, huh, you hunting by yourself? I'm like, well, again, I don't know you and I'm certainly not telling you where I'm going to be out in the middle of the woods all alone. It's so. like,
3: yeah. I'm no, I'm not hunting alone. I'm hunting with my big fucking sidearm that I used to <laughs> shoot first.
0: Yeah. yeah. You ever been stuck with a broadhead? I don't
3: know. <laughs> you so might, you said, might welcome the, you might welcome the pistol. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh, he goes, well, you know, I could probably get you some access to hunt right here. And I said, "Mind you." Oh yeah,
3: mm, this kid how. is. A,
0: yeah, this kid is like twenty-two-year-old little punk, <laughs> ranch hand. And I was like, "I'm good, little buddy." <laughs>
3: Just like <laughs>
0: went on my way. Yeah, there. Oh, uh, man, the the elks are like to congregate on that piece of property. It is fun to just drive through. Oh, Every yeah. once in a while, We'll just take the county road and just drive and watch. them. like, man, it's a sanctuary. It is an elk sanctuary out here.
3: I'll tell you that same, uh, that same year, you know, it's like, I'm one of those guys, like I run into a game warden. I've had good experience. I know, uh, you know, this is controversial. It shouldn't be, but some guys have had really bad experiences with game wardens, especially when they're hunting in the game wardens spot. Um, yeah but I've always had good experiences with game wardens and you know, so I'll sit and talk with them and I've gotten the best Intel on elk ever. Typically yeah. when they find out that I'm like really sad and I've only just been hunting for a little bit and uh, at the time had never gotten an elk. They're like, Oh, okay. They like want to be the one to help me get my first elk, yeah, Right. And, uh, but I, you know, so I ran into one, he pointed me to this spot and i had i been hunting there for a while, several days and, um, uh, another one came up and I was, you know, kind of showing him my stuff and I was just going to shoot the shit with him kind of in a good mood. I was being friendly and he was just not having it. Like yeah. he was, he was looking to chop my balls off for some yep. reason. Like, and I'm like, and I'm starting to, and then, and then there's that part of you like, now you're like, I know I'm not doing anything wrong, but your brain starts going. You're like, what if I did do something wrong?
0: Yeah. It's just like, like walking out of a store without buying something. You're like, what if I am stealing something?
3: <laughs> <laughs> or or you're going through TSA. What if I have a gun on me?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why do we do that?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it was, I was having those moments and I'm like, and, and finally he, and I'm, I, and so I kind of get over it. And I start chatting with him. He's like, listen, I got to get to work. And, and long story short, like literally, two, 300 yards up the road from where I was parked. Somebody had uh, shot an elk. I don't think it was the Wilkes land. I think it was across the road from him. Somebody had shot an elk and like started just chop off the head and, and left the body there. It was, you know, clear yeah. case of poaching. And, uh, and I was talking with him and, you know, obviously I was the only one parked there. So he was coming after me first. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it, it was weird though, because the whole night before, like I was listening to the coyotes, howl. I'm like, why are they so loud and so close? And like, it was the most, like it was an area with a lot of coyotes. Like I would watch them actually trying to sneak up on the pronghorn on the world's land. Mm-hmm. It was, that was my, when, when I was watching the giant herds on the, on the private, I would also watch the coyotes trying to sneak up on the pronghorn and it was, it was a fun game, but oh, so yeah. I, knew they, I knew they were there, but they were just so loud and like, they were, I mean, it sounded like there's about a hundred of them like just on the other side of my truck well, yeah. I'm, and I am I'm like in my, in my canvas, so like my bivy sack. And I'm yeah. like, Oh, great. I'm going to get a. I've never been attacked by coyotes before. Never thought this would be a problem, yeah. <laughs> but, like, but they were, they had to have been, so it, it had to have happened the day I was in the right across the road in the mountains. There's a good yeah. chance. I blew that elk towards towards whoever that jackass was. But yeah, I saw that. I saw RMAF posted about it, uh, a while later, but, um, yeah, it was a good sized elk and that pissed me off even more that whole hunt. Like that whole hunt was like the best of the best and the worst of the worst moments. Um, and I, I mean, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you how many miles I put on That's, I mean, I was here six weeks and I mean, I was in and out. Like I was, I was in the field probably two out of three days that whole time, but, Miles after miles after miles and up and down and finally getting into them for the first time in three years or four yeah. years. I was it was a it was a hunt. It was a hunt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel like this last year. was like I this last season.
2: This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Takovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Takovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags and more.
3: Well, you had some ups and downs this last season after a car getting broken into, all your gear being stolen, everything. Oh,
0: that was like, so opening weekend of, was it archery season? I don't remember if it was archery season or rifle season. It's a blur at this point, but I hunt my ass off. I drive back to Bozeman. I like park my truck. It's like eight o'clock at night. I'm exhausted. Like I'm not unloading this. I go to bed. I wake up hearing a commotion and uh, go outside and look and the contents of my truck are strewn over the driveway. They're in the street. And I'm like, are you, are you, my bow was in there. I had a shotgun in there. I'm just like, what, what are the, like what are the odds at the one time that I don't unload all this stuff? And the problem is my truck. I love it. Um, the passenger side door has a short. Mm. And so every once in a while, if you roll the window down, it doesn't roll back up. Or if you lock it, it won't unlock. There's something in that panel that's like shorted out. And sure enough, that passenger side door is where they got in. It just must not have locked. They stole. And I'm going to say that I'm not going to try and uh, stereotype the people who broke into my truck, but I'm going to assume there were some substances involved because they took my camera bag full of thousands of dollars of camera equipment and lenses dumped it out and took the bag that it was in. (laughs) Uh, they took my hunt pack, you know, my stone glacier pack, dumped everything out, took the pack and knives, uh, gutted the truck and took everything, every knife, which I had all of my hunting knives, super sentimental stuff. Um, took my binoculars Took my bino harness, which had like my ivories from the year before. And like my favorite knife was in it. It just was like all of this. It's a gut punch because it's not just like, wow, there's a lot of money gone. But it's like I officially cannot hunt. Like you've Mm -hmm. taken they didn't take my bow, which I don't know why they didn't take it other than they just didn't know the worth of it. And then, of course, I told a buddy of mine, they didn't, I can't believe they didn't take my bow. And they're like, who is small enough to shoot that bow anyway? For
2: kids, <laughs> case.
0: Which is valid. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to shoot a 23-inch bow? Uh, and then they didn't take the shotgun. Like, there's like certain things where I'm like, what? You took my bags and knives. They took both of my wool hats, which is, feels real personal when someone takes. I don't like people touching my hat, much less taking my hat. So yeah, at, uh, that was a low point for sure uh, in the season. Luckily, I am surrounded by awesome people. I just borrowed gear for the the remainder of the season. Um, my clothes were all still there because I have them all shoved in a Rubbermaid tub. Um, so I still had hunt clothes and boots and things. Um, but yeah, the rest of my year was just gone. I didn't. I spent the rest of the year borrowed binoculars, borrowed pack. Yeah. Made mean,
3: and even even in the face of that you were still able to get it done you're able to yeah. take a nice elk a really nice uh bruiser of a muley
0: yeah you know and those it's funny this year was this is a good a good year to explain like this season explained my view on it's completely different than the hunt and harvest argument. A lot of people are like, Oh, you're not hunting something, or you're not harvesting something. You're hunting it or you're killing it or whatever. There's this like play on words for me. Like I hunted all year. I did not have a successful hunt, but then I went out and harvested an elk and harvested a mule deer. Um, because there's a huge, which is fortunate. That is a fortunate position to be in where I can hunt all year, the way that I want to hunt in the traditions that I want, you know, to upkeep in, the spaces that I want to be in. But then when it gets down to the end of the year, I know that there are ranchers that need management cows taken and I can make a phone call and I can hike in a few miles with a rifle and just sit and wait it out, pick out a cow, drop it, bring it home. Um, Which is what I did this year. And then the last day of rifle season, same thing went out, knew there was a guy that just has had deer eating the heck out of his field Said, hey. Didn't have a successful year. I would love to take a mule deer in my freezer. Went out, literally saw him from the road, walked out, laid down, took shot, brought him home. So there's a big difference. Those were not hunts to me. Like, did I technically hunt? Sure. I went out, I shot two animals, I processed them, brought them home. Um, but I was not scouting those animals. I haven't watched them all year. I have, I haven't been tracking where they're bedding and where they're watering and when they're watering and where they're feeding and which paths they're taking. Um, and so those to me, they weren't hunts, they were harvests. Um, and it's great. The the results is the same. I have a freezer packed full of meat. I get to process sausage with my brother and my dad still this year and make burgers. And we're going to try all sorts of new stuff this year, but yeah, there's a big difference and I didn't borrowed, bri- borrowed rifle both times. Um, the rifle that I shot the cow with was the the ranch uh, ranch owner that I shot the cow on. He only lets people use his rifle um, <laughs> when they're on his land, which I love. I think that's great. Um, and then yeah, I just borrowed. I shot my mule deer with a 300 Win Mag. I mean, just punk pancaked him. But
3: <laughs> it was it just was, the force of the bullet that knocked him over. I was, <laughs> yeah,
0: was like, he just died from concussion trauma. Um, but yeah, it was, this was a good year. The year before I hunted all of my, all of my harvests. the year before were effort hunts, tracking, plotting maps um, and ended up being successful. I had a really successful year last year, this year it never, every hunt was great. Um, they just didn't end up with an animal on the ground. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to live in a place and to know people that I can go out and harvest an animal, um, which is something that I'm literally in the middle of writing about the difference between the two. Both of them are great. I grew up harvesting animals. Like it wasn't, we weren't out with a bow on our back trekking 12 miles into, you know, we weren't mountain tough. <laughs> when I was a kid. We drove to the area that we were pretty sure the elk herds were going to be in, and then we tracked across a field um hoping that they'd be on the other side, and then as many of my family members as we could drag out who had tags in their pocket would all try and drop cow. Um so it's harvest. That's a harvest. That's not a hunt at all. So I grew up harvesting animals more than I did hunting animals. Now I just prefer the hunt. Um, but I still have to harvest because it's all we eat.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's I mean, I think that is a a big distinction is a hunt. A hunt is one thing. Again, a hunt doesn't involve killing necessarily. I mean, hopefully <laughs> at the end of it, it you, we would like it if it does often no. um, more often than not. When I hunt, it doesn't involve killing or harvesting or but I think. You know, and I use when it comes to like killing or harvesting, like I use the words interchangeably. Like, yeah. You know, I've had people ask and, and I, you probably again, you probably know everybody in people in the hunting industry. We love to get butt hurt about so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you use the word, if you use the word harvest, you know, oh, you're just blah, blah, blah. You're 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 kind of trying to dumb it down for people that don't like hunting or, but if you use the word kill, oh, you're not being sensitive to, to, I'm like, oh, shut up. Just use the word you're going to use and show respect to the animal let's call it a day. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I use them. I use them interchangeably. Like again, you know, not, not that I'm trying to be all all philosophical and artsy when I use the word harvest, I just, I don't know, like my introduction, my several years that I've been introduced to hunting, I've been in, I've been exposed to both words equally. So I use them both equally. Like yeah. that's all it is.
0: And it's one of those people get so worked up and put so much energy into being like, ah, you're just like softening it up for the liberals by using the word harvest. And you're like, you know, you could have taken this 30 minutes that you just tried to like <laughs> run me put around. And written an email to a legislator and made a difference. Or, you know, you could just die on this hill that you'll never say the word harvest. Or
3: or shit. If nothing else, write a blog post stating your position in a manner that's not just a a angry Facebook comment when yeah. I won't even talk about the kind of people that tend to write those. Oh,
0: um, gosh. Do we I mean, have to talk about the internet?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be like I mean, we both know you and I are probably on slightly different ends of the spectrum of things. um you know, I like to think you're a little more centrist than than most people, and so am I, but I think we're somewhat politically on oh politically yeah, opposite ends of the spectrum
0: I feel like my political alignments would be drastically shocking to most people <laughs> like I think there's some people that are like they see that I towed a gun around or. I hunt and fish and whatever Republican redneck. And then there's other people that are like, well, involved with certain organizations. And I've read some of the things just clearly just like green decoy, bleeding heart liberal. And it's funny. Cause if you were to like, I bet if you were to take all of my ballots and grind them up via <laughs> color, <laughs> it is a lovely shade of purple. Yep. Like I like, I am not a party voter. I just, I don't, I don't, get, I think the party system's bullshit to be frank. Uh, I vote on policy. If mm-hmm. I, su- if you support policy that supports a lifestyle that supports the Montana way of life killer, if you're like, I, whoever your funding comes from, if you are looking to do good, sweet. I love it. I mean, I voted for McCain.
3: <laughs> uh,
0: it's over Obama to first election. And then I voted for Obama the next election. Like my votes are, they bounce back and forth. And I think people either assume one way or the other. Um, I'm man, I skirt that line of just being, I vote for common sense logic. It's the shocking way to do <laughs>
3: things. I don't know. I, I surprise a lot of people with what I believe. I mean, I'm not, I'll say it right here. Like I'm not a registered Republican. I'm, I'm a libertarian, like through and through. I'm so nobody likes me. Um, yeah. <laughs> to to a similar effect, you know, I, I'll talk, I'll talk to people about things, and you know, uh, I, I get the oh, you're just you know, libtard, and yeah. I'm like, me of all people, <laughs> me of all people, a libtard, really? Yeah. Um, I'm like, <laughs> do, you, do you see the shit I do? And then oh, you know, on the on the other side, oh, just you know, redneck piece of trash trumper and oh, i'm like yeah. mm. i'm like well you know, we won't even talk I'm, I'm probably gonna end up losing a lot of followers when i say i didn't vote for trump i didn't vote for i didn't vote for biden either i vote for the person that's never going to get elected because i just hope i can get my three percent and we can actually get them in a get them in a debate even though this year was really bad for the i don't oh, want to talk
0: i feel like it, the last several have just been ugh, it's just exhausting politics i, is I just- don't
3: I don't like feeling dirty every time I vote, regardless yeah. of who I vote for. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: it's just like I don't <laughs> want to do this. The, uh, voting for the lesser of two evils feels disgusting every single time I do it. And for me, I, I always laugh because I get messages when I do vote or like post on policy stuff or like, hey, this is being proposed. Read it. Decide what you think on it. This is important. I'll always get responses. It was like, oh, it's the that God dang liberals trying to take our guns. And I'm like, well, it's a Republican that proposed it. So please read it again and get a better, better view. Don't just jump to the liberals or the antichrist. Or then I get the, oh, it's these God dang Republicans that are trying to get in here and ruin everything and destroy the environment. And I'm like, well, again, no, this is something that I'm supporting and also (laughs) proposed by a Republican, uh, but it's pro-conservation, so- You're just jumping on this. If it's not like, if I don't like, if I don't like a piece of legislation or an idea, it has to be proposed by someone that's different than me. And it's like, instead of like jumping on that bandwagon of like, all this type of people are bad or all this type of people are good. It's like, I I feel like people will take time and be like, wow, that, that guy's a moron regardless of what (laughs) political affiliation he has, or wow, this person that, sits on the Fish and Wildlife Commission is self-serving and only proposing this because it will lie in his pockets, you know, which is pertinent at this time in Montana I politics. I mean, you need to like step back and be like, I don't know. There's party blindness and it just makes people irrational.
3: Conservation should, there should be zero partisanship involved in conservation. None yeah. whatsoever and it is so often and i mean and i get i get it like there you know i mean i get where it comes from just -hmm. because there are issues like secondary and tertiary issues that touch on this stuff that then that do tend to get a little more partisan and and this party or that party leans towards that but conservation in and of itself is not a partisan thing the montana way of life should never ever be a partisan thing i mean This is, you know, I say we, I'm a new Montana resident. You know that, you know, I, uh, but we have something very special here.
0: Yeah. I think, I think even the people that have been here their entire lives every once in a while get blinders on and don't realize how unique and special this place is, you know, and man, there's so much to lose. And we're at a weird junction with hunting regulations, conservation policy, we're we're at a weird spot where there's a lot to lose. And right now I feel like being involved in the process is not fun. It is not fun sitting for eight or nine hours in the Capitol and listening to just, it is just nonsense for hours and hours is not fun sitting up and writing emails to commissioners and writing to the newspaper and making phone calls is not fun. And it's getting less fun because it's less listened to. And I feel like there's less impact. Um, but I also notice there's less people actively involved. So it's like the first, the first commission meeting that I went to, I went, I don't even remember what it was there. Something was proposed and it was just outlandish. There were people lining the hallway that could not fit in the meetings. This last meeting that I went to, which I didn't, I really didn't post anything about other than where it was going to be and when it was going to be. And please show up if you can. Um, But I was expecting it to be packed. I expected to see a full parking lot, people outside, It was such a big deal. What they were, the proposals that were being put forward would have changed all of our hunting for the state and could have drastically changed it for the foreseeable future. Um, And for me to show up and for us to just walk in and sit in open seats made me furious. I was pissed. I was so pissed this last commission meeting because I just wanted to be like, where the fuck is everybody? All of these people that squawk. Conservation, 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 conservation. Why aren't you here? Why aren't you here? Why are you not standing here when the biggest meeting, the most important meeting we've had in years, is happening? And you're not just not even. And I understand it happens in the middle of the week. Not everyone has a job like me where I can just grab my laptop, work from a you know the back of my truck, whatever. Um, But even like Zoom calls and. I read through the comments. I download the registered comments and read through them and it is dull and it is a lot of comments, but it's just like, I see a lot of people who are proponents of conservation and bring awareness to conservation and they're not getting involved politically and it is catching up with us. It's getting to a point now where I just want to be like, are we, are we all just not noticing that this is happening? And there are people that I really, really respect in the conservation world. that are like, what do you mean? And then I point to this like obscure line of like, do you not see this blatant privatization of this species, which will be unnamed because it's happening right now? Like, or do you not notice this? And it's like, Oh, I just, well, I just, I guess I didn't make it to that part. And I want to be like, there's stuff being slipped into, to legislation, right. Or just to, you know, the, the hunting regulations right now that it isn't big, exciting and sexy, but it changes so much for all of us. Um, and man, people are just not as involved. And the more involved I get the quieter I feel I have to be about it, which sucks. Like it really, it sucks. Cause I feel like, you know, like I did a fundraiser for something and I think in a week it was a conservation fundraiser. I'd raise like six grand, which I could not do without, internet and the reach and people from outside of Montana that are willing to like be a part. But the more I get involved in the stuff that really matters, it's not exciting. Nobody really is down with it. And no matter what I do or what stance I take or what efforts I put in, somebody is going to just shit all over it and be like, you're just doing this for impure reasons, or you're doing this to like benefit yourself or yada, yada. So I feel like I'm getting more involved and more quiet about it.
3: Well, it's just those kind of people suck your energy. Even if you don't engage them, yep. it's just. And again, like you, like we're saying, it it comes from both sides. It doesn't matter what you post. There's always going to be someone that that, especially if it's anything anything to do with something someone's passionate about. Somebody yep. is going to come down on you, and. Just seeing those comments saps your energy. You you don't have to engage it. You, You can block everyone and their mother, but it's still going to just suck the energy
2: out of you.
0: Yeah. It's like there was, I don't know, a month or two ago, someone posted something about me being the poster child for everything that's wrong with conservation or with hunting. And I was like the poster child, like, wow, I have ascended to some serious antichrist status here Um, i'm impressed
3: personally that's a thank you look at you I,
0: i mean i apparently earned it and it all came from the fact that one the posting pictures of my hunts that's where it started and then that i was clearly doing it for attention because here i go to helena i post about the commission meeting, what's happening, yada de, yada de, yada and then I didn't get to even get up and testify. So clearly I'm doing it for impure reasons. So I was like, listen. I took I- time off. I booked a hotel room on my own dime. I put gas in my gas guzzling truck on my own dime. Left my family, drove to Helena, stayed, got my ass up, sat through the most bo- infuriating and boring commission meeting ever posted about it so that people knew what was going on. But at the last minute they dropped their original proposal that we had all prepared to speak about. The place was packed. There was a line out the door and I thought I have nothing to say. I have nothing to testify about anymore because they have dropped the proposal that I was just about to get up and scream about. But because of that one little thing that I didn't go like, one step I was doing it for impure reasons. And I've sued on that for a while of like, so I can volunteer my time, money out of pocket, do all of these things. But because I didn't do one thing that you had hoped that I would do, I'm clearly just like an attention whore. And I just wanted to be like, where were you? You weren't there. Like where? And I, of course, click on the profile. I'm like, you post pictures of your hunts too. But just because more people see mine, I'm apparently doing it for impure reasons. I'm still waiting for my follower check (laughs) or my life likes check. I I turned off likes on Instagram because I'm just like, I don't give a shit. I just don't. It's not why I'm doing it. It's like that. If two additional people show up because I post meeting time and place two additional people. Cool. Shed on me all you want. It's making a beneficial impact, whatever you think my agenda is. Um, But it's still exhausting. Like I'm just, I was telling my buddy the other day, I'm like, I'm just, it's getting to a point where no matter what I do, people are gonna shit all over it and say, I'm doing it for impure reasons. And I just, it's making me not care. Like, why am I doing this when I'm doing what I think is the right thing? It's benefiting all of us. And I'm still just gonna get shit on it. It's making me not care where I just wanna be like, well, forget it. I'll just go hunt. I'll shut down social media. It doesn't make me a penny. And then if it all goes to hell, tough shit, I guess you guys deal with it. You're if if you're going to say that I'm doing it wrong, maybe you should step up and do it the way that you think is right. <laughs> I don't know. It's infuriating and I'm yeah. getting jaded and cynical.
3: You know, Rochelle, there's a lot easier ways to get attention than to, to go to all these meetings. Like, I mean, come on you know, use your head here.
0: There's camo print bikinis, which I should just—I mean, promise. you could
3: you could really get some serious cooler sponsorships, I'm sure.
0: Oh, all the coolers, um, <laughs> man! I, it's funny because we had a women's hunt in Eastern Montana, and I ordered <laughs> I ordered a camo print bikini and an extra 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 large, and it had pink trim, and the plan was I was gonna wear it over my camo so that I could say I <laughs> a bikini? did it entirely for intention and I still couldn't bring myself to do it.
3: <laughs> I think I, I think I remember the post or the comment you were talking about. I think I remember seeing that when you, when he was commenting that and it's like, wild.
0: The poster child.
3: And I don't I, was, I don't know why picture I mean the whole this it's just the latest thing that everyone hates on now. It, apparently now it's posting pictures of your hunts. We're not allowed to do that anymore. Yeah. Or you know, for a while it was the grip and grin. I think the grip and grin's okay now. Again, is it? I mean, I oh. remember that was a couple of years ago.
0: It changes every couple of days, whether it's okay or not.
3: Yeah. Seems yeah. like am I am I only allowed to hold up the back straps, or am I allowed to actually show a picture of the animal anymore? I'm. I, I, I don't I, I know. Forget. I
0: haven't checked the purity index to see uh, where it falls.
3: There we all go. Right. <laughs> I,
0: I find it funny because it's like, no matter how ethical you are, or whatever, posting a picture of your animal online is unethical. And I just want to be like, all right, so if ethical hunters stop sharing what we do, um, all you're left with is the douchebags who are not going to stop sharing it. And then that becomes what people see as hunting. If If we just like shut up and let all of the you know, monster energy, jacked up, Fox racing lifted truck Bubba's of Montana who are driving their truck across land and ripping it up. And then, you know, laying down and posing scantily with their buck. Uh, That will be what people see as hunting because if, if there's no visuals of what ethical responsible hunting is, then that, it will represent us all by default. We will all be that guy. Um, so,
3: mm-mm. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's nice to sit up on our mountaintops and, you know, tell, tell each other our farts don't smell and, and all of that stuff. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> life doesn't, life doesn't happen on our secluded mountaintop of, of no social media hunting. No. Um,
0: <laughs> it's just not real. Yeah. Yeah, they were really, AM radio was really mad when TV showed up too. You have to adjust. You just have, that's the new form of media. You either roll with it and change and find a way to make it work for the greater good, or you just get left behind and you make no positive impact.
2: Fishing like a local
1: isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on fishing Booker.
3: So on that note, if folks wanted to follow along and tell you, uh, what a piece of shit you are uh on social media. Where can they where can they find you to do that?
0: I want to be like, uh, can I give a fake?
3: so so my name my name is steven.renella
0: Yeah, or... just go there. Let me know how you feel about it.
3: Uh, <laughs> just, I'm sorry, I'm laughing at my own joke too hard. I
0: mean, I'm, uh... <laughs> Can I just come up with some, I should Uh, just make like a mock account that people can follow so that I don't have to see it.
3: Um, (laughs) Just log into it once a month, uh, scroll through it be like, yep, yep. That's, Oh, that's a, that's a nice. I
0: haven't,
3: I haven't seen that kind of death threat before. That's a good one.
0: (laughs) I did get, I got, I've gotten two legitimate death threats on social media. Isn't that wild? like, absolutely wild and not from the i've heard so many like it's the anti you know the anti-hunters no these were straight up from angry middle-aged men from their you know probably lincoln montana shacks
3: where they're plotting like, <laughs> damn oh. damn <laughs> calling out lincoln
0: <laughs> i mean all i picture when i read the messages is kaczynski
3: I mean, that's all I'm picturing.
0: (laughs) Just angry. I'm
3: I'm legitimately crying right now. I'm laughing so hard.
0: But one of them, he sent me a picture from Google Maps of my parents' house.
3: I remember you talking about this.
0: Wait, what? Like... No way. But like he had found me and then found through public record, a former last name and then found where I'd gone to high school and then found where my dad worked. Like you have put passion into researching where I am from and where I am at and who my family is. So then it's like, I had to report it and there was like police reports and I'm like, I can't go home right now. Like, I don't want to be anywhere that, mm-hmm. so I like got out of town and to, you know, like I got kids. It's like, ugh, the world is scary. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm real cautious. It's funny. Anytime. If I tag a location of where I'm at, it's either a joke or it's somewhere that I'm no longer at. Like yeah. I won't post something like real time. Cause I'm just like, man, the world is full of scary
3: you're not you're not up on the mountains being like okay tagging the uh, little snowies your
0: uh, location. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if anything is you know just tag Bozeman Montana. Everybody hates Bozeman. <laughs> I'm definitely in Bozeman right now. <laughs> like that's definitely where I am at all times. Yeah. Um if anyone wants to follow me they can just stumble across my profile. I'm sure if the I don't know. I don't, I have a super unique name.
3: I don't it's think, really not that hard to find you. I mean, on the social medias.
0: Yeah. It's, I'm there. If people are so inclined, um, <laughs> be gentle. I get enough, I get enough crap.
2: Or oh don't. my gosh. But if you're
0: going to be harsh, make it good. There's <laughs> been a few, I've gotten a few messages that were horribly hateful. Um, but incredibly educated. Hmm. And they made me stop and be like, I'm probably not going to change my stance on this, (laughs) but I do listen to it. And so it's like, it's good. I like getting people who are, don't agree with me. Those are my favorite. Those are my favorite responses. My favorite DMS come from people who are like, I don't think this is right. Because it makes me look into it so much deeper from that other perspective I would say 80% of the time I'm like, "Mm, I still don't still pretty solid on my stance, but I would say 20% of the time. I'm like, I see. I totally see where you're coming from. Like, I still believe the way, you know, what I, what I believe on this, whatever topic, but I feel more educated on.
3: Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's like when you actually are educated in your point of view and, and a lot of, you know, uh, whether it's opinion, point of view, fact, whatever it is, when you're educated in that and you, actually fully know why you believe what you believe Mm -hmm. you welcome those challenges. You're not, you don't need to like shut down those other voices because it challenges you and makes you sharper in what you believe. It causes you to do deeper research. It, it prepares you when other people come at you with the same, those same arguments or similar arguments. And it's, it's when people start shutting down or closing off any, any, Opposing voices and, and I mean, the old good old echo chamber that we all love to put ourselves in that I was just talking with someone about it's social media is great for reaching out to people you would never get to talk to. Otherwise, I mean, like you and I would never be having this conversation if it wasn't for good old social media and Kettle House. Yeah. Um, I'm going to I'm going to have to tag them in, in the, when I post about this podcast, but um, it's
0: entirely because of Kettle House
3: absolutely absolutely i'm still waiting for that sponsorship like oh, i mean wouldn't come that be on nice? i would pro staff the shit out of that kettle um, house and
0: dots pretzels
3: oh gosh i discovered <laughs> i discovered those after moving to montana oh my gosh yeah the dots holy crap i never knew those things existed and they're uh,
0: that's because they started in the the dakotas it used to be you could only get them in like eastern montana North Dakota, South Dakota, they've spread like wild power. And I'm like, heck yeah, Dot, you're doing good oh things. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Those are crying.
3: like, they, they that's like fun. I mean, I, I lived in Belgrade. Those are meth, not crack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Uh, this is starting to devolve. So on, on that note, uh, I always like to close things down with, so say, you know, say you're talking to someone about hunting and they're, they're like, oh my gosh, you know that I've always wanted to hunt. Like it just sounds amazing, you know, uh, the adventure and, and the whole conservation stuff and feeding my family. I love the idea of it, but there's, there's so much to learn. There's so much to, to figure out. It's complicated. It's expensive. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. Maybe you run into this person. What kind of encouragement would you give them?
0: Um, I feel like I would start with telling them to just pick up the rags, read them, learn the laws, and then go do it just go do it. Um, there's nothing you can do that really prepares you for getting out in the field and failing and being cold and learning that you are out of shape. And there's just nothing, there's nothing like doing it, you know? And I look at like me restarting. I just got out there, had no idea really what I was doing. I watched animals. I watched them go to water. I watched them feed in a field that I couldn't hunt in. You know, I just, I got out there and figured there's nothing, there's no book you can read that will teach you how to do it. Um, As long as you're educated on the laws and the regulations, as long as you're doing it for (laughs) purity index appropriate reasons,
3: (laughs) um,
0: and you're being ethical about it. Heck yeah. Get out there, call somebody that, I've had so many people be like, if I come up there and I pull a tag, will you take me out and hunt? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I'm not hiding hunting. Like I, I'm i not, I don't even hide my spots. I don't post them online, but if you want to come hunt with me, here's pen show up. We're getting up at four. So I hope you're ready to roll. <laughs> um, yeah. Find a, find a good, I hate the word mentor. Find somebody that hunts, um, and has hunted. And surround yourself with people who know what they're doing field experience. Just go do it. Cause yeah, it's, it's life changing. I think it is life changing for those that didn't grow up around it and for the rest of us, man, it's just, it's a beautiful way of life.
3: Awesome. Well, I am so glad that we finally got to sit down and do this only took two years of badgering. Only. Totally. Only. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe we can knock one out in a year and a half uh, from now next time. We'll see we'll if we see. can we'll see if we can narrow that down a little bit. But thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Yeah, this was a blast.
3: Alrighty, y'all. That'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild thank you for listening to the wild initiative please take a moment to leave a rating and review on itunes or stitcher and head on over to the wild
2: to get show notes check out the blog gear discounts other podcasts from the wild initiative family and more
1: one of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination
2: for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. is is Doug Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.